On today's episode of the Pactum, we are answering questions. That means we're doing a Pactum responsum. Questions about books, questions about EFS, questions about rewards in heaven or lack thereof, justification, Mm -hmm. Roman Catholicism, Calvinism, all kinds of questions. Welcome to the Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes. Yes, and we're here. We are here. I can hear construction equipment outside of the plush Pactum studio. They're building a bigger, better studio. Oh, maybe that's what's happening. <laughs> nice bulldozer style. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, before we jump into the, it's not mailbag, but into the questions. Yeah. I think we need to do a big shout out to our friends over at the Two Age Sojourner yeah, podcast. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Mike, Nick, and Andre, they are some nice dudes over there. We like Two Age Sojourner. And uh, they did an episode that was kind of embarrassing recently. <laughs> it was a little bit so. <laughs> Not embarrassing for them. Too nice, They're right? kind, extremely generous. Uh, so their episode that was called How Then Should We Rest, uh, that was on May 11th, 2023. Yeah. They said some nice things about the Pactum. They did. They just said some really nice things about the Pactum and about your book. It's true. They said nice things about covenant theology. Michael is going to be, Michael Beck's going to be here as one of our speakers. Yeah. For our Pactum Conference, All Things New, October 6th and 7th, 2023. And so that's probably why they were saying such nice things. Probably so. You know, promo the conference. But they are some (laughs) nice dudes. I think they think your last name is Michael Greer. You know, hey, I'll I'll answer it anything. That sounds like a football player for the Packers or something cool. Tough guy. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) It's Grimes, Grimy, Grimy, Go For Guts or something like that. (laughs) Uh But speaking of the conference, we want to encourage everybody to get signed up for that. The Pactum Conference coming up October 6th through the 7th here in Omaha, Nebraska. You can go to thepactum.org to find the link. There are people even coming from New Zealand. There are people coming from all the way from New Zealand to be here for the conference. Yep. It's fun to see people registering. Someone asked me just recently, they said, I don't do anything online. Mm. So is it possible for me to pay a different way? And I said, sure, whatever, yeah, whatever you need to out. do. Email, yeah. email us. Email us. Yeah, email us. Connect at thepactum.org, and we can we can work it out. Can we you can imagine you doing out. nothing online? You know, I've thought about that recently. I've thought, you know, this whole cell phone business, this whole computer thing, let's just get rid of all of it. And <laughs> then I start to, you know, break out in the nervous sweats, and I think, I think I'm think i probably going to keep it. Yep, yep. Okay, so Mike, before we get into the questions that have been submitted, well, yeah. let me back up even further and okay, say, all okay. right, so if, you, if you're new to the Pactum, here's kind of how we do this. We answer your questions yep. or people like you, but even if you have not submitted a question, a good way to play along with us is sort of like a game show. Can you answer the question? Can you right. answer the question better than we can? How would you have answered the question differently? But I like it because it's kind of like a theological on-the-spot training. Sure. Yes. So I love Q&A yep. kind of thing. Yeah, so it's fun. don't tune out. Let's keep going. Let's yeah. listen to Bulldozers in the Back. Bulldozers in the Background. That sounds like, sounds like a song. A country song. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like country? You like a little bit of country. Old school. I, I want it super old, super old school. Or like maybe a non-country group singing a country song as a cover. Oh, okay. I think that's kind of cool. It's kind of fun. So, yeah. yeah. The newer bro country stuff, I, it's, yeah, no. I want it to be like super duper Charlie Crockett. Okay. He, he's a cool cat. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I like old old country stuff. And then there was a sweet spot, I think, right at the early 2000s. There was a sweet spot of some good stuff. And then, yeah, now it's all terrible. Nice. But anyway. I used to like when R.E.M. would sing country songs. So. Oh, really? They did? Uh-huh. Like That's one. cool. Yep. That's before my time. I don't know anything about that. It's true. Michael, Michael Stipe's a weirdo. <laughs> 
<laughs> so to kick things off, my question for you, which was not submitted, but okay, since right. you know the Twitterati, uh, you know, just oh, lose dear. their ever loving minds. So, do you think it's sinful? Do you think it's wrong for Christians, let's say Christian men, to play video games? Just to play video games? Yeah. No. Good answer. <laughs> do people think it is? Oh, it was a thing this past week. On oh Twitter, dear. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, basically, no. I have no respect for anyone who would play video games as a Christian or something stupid. Oh, serious? Yeah. Like so. just just to play them. I mean, I know it gets to be a problem for some right. men who you know like live in the basement else. kind of thing, like anything, right? But everything in moderation. You know, absolutely. I mean, I'm not a video game player, but I will defend it to my dying day. Sure. So. I'm. I definitely am not a video game player. I don't understand. I think maybe this, people so. who tw- tweet things like that need a hobby. Yeah. Or maybe they need a wife Go, who's yes. more, you know, insightful that can kind of calm them down. Or maybe they need church elders. Yep. Or I'm just like, kid. <laughs> a little sanity, man. Yeah. Or they need the rest of us to ignore them. Well, that would be better. And that's just it, right? You, that, you take the bait and then it goes all that, excitement. That would be far better. So, <laughs> yeah, people, all things in moderation. So I, you know, just thought about this when I was on a three hour bike ride. There you go. <laughs> Is it sinful for a Christian man to ride a bike? For three hours, it's not moderation. (laughs) So, so much dumbness, Mr. Tumness. That is crazy. All right, we do have a first question. We do have questions. So these are listener questions that have been sent in. And if you have questions you want to send in, you can do that. Connect at thepactum.org. We'd be glad to add those to another episode. But the first question for today... And if you have a complaint, send it to someone else. Yeah, at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, Today's first question comes from Jack. Jack asks, what are five books that are essential reading for Christians. And then he added, not including the Confessions, Calvin's Institutes, because those are obvious. Okay. All right, Jack. What are five essential books that we would recommend here on the Pactum? Um, No. (laughs) This was not a yes or no question. It's a hard question to answer, right? It is. It is, because who, who are we talking to? Right. Sure, it yeah. depends on the person. Right. So let's 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 take a shot at it. Let's start with the Big Picture Story Bible by David Helm. <laughs> hey, it's a know, kids' book. It is a kids' book. But what it does is it helps you understand biblical theology, and it does relate to Christ, regardless Most of where certainly. you are. So yeah. I like to tell people adults should read that book because it'll help you to not do the myopic isolate one word and make it mean whatever you want it to mean. Oh, sure, so yeah. It's, yeah. That's, let's put that number one on the list. Yeah, that's great. I think everyone should have the Reformation Study Bible. For sure. Including the articles in the back, even though it doesn't always have the perfect answers. Yep. It's, it's a good resource to have. That's number two. We have two so far, There's right? Two. There's Jack? two. Okay, Jack's holding us to five. Uh, how about, let's do another biblical theology for adults. So I'm thinking mm. categories. I'm oh, sure, yeah. So I like Zach Keel's book, The Unfolding Word, yes, yep. because it's a biblical theology. So it's a survey trying to give you the big picture. And I like Zach because he doesn't lose his ever-loving Protestant mind. Right, yep. He has good theological categories to begin with. Yep. So that's really a helpful resource. And we do have an episode with Zach Keel we talking do. about that. Yep, book. I would yeah. check that out. Yep. And uh, we talk about Japanese food. Yes, and all his cooking adventures. That's right. It's a great episode. Yeah. <laughs> it actually is. <laughs> and and then, Could, you know, you probably probably should buy Covenant Theology. <laughs> you know. There, you, <laughs> Let's put that on the list. <laughs> that was number that's number four even. Uh, yeah. Check it out. Number four, Covenant Theology <laughs> by Patrick Gavin Drop. <laughs> if you don't buy mine, buy someone else's because Mike's having a fit on oh, here. Oh man. Buy someone else's because you do need to kind of understand the big picture, the the two Adams, tale of two Adams. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's gonna help because Romans five is so important. Yep. And then I think everyone should read Louis, Louis, Louis. Mm-hmm. Burkhoff. Louis Burkhoff, Systematic Theology. For so sure. we're gonna yep. use it even on today's show. 
I like it for lots of reasons, but it's a good go-to text, a classic reformed guy, historically informed. I like his book also. I can't remember the name of it, but it's The History of Christian Doctrines. Oh, yeah. Some some volumes of the systematic theology include it. Some, oh, okay, some yeah. Some don't, yeah. but that's actually a really helpful book. It's helpful, book. yeah. Uh, so the, the, there's five. There's, five. The, 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 there's five. I'm going to start speaking <laughs> in tongues over here. We're recording this early in the morning, early for me anyway. We usually record in the afternoon, yeah. and yep. it's just not the same. It feels different when it's in the morning, but hey, it's true, we can but make it happen. People are probably listening at midnight and they such. They might be, yeah. Such so shenanigans. Five. Okay, so there are five, but I think also let's put on the list Christianity and Liberalism by Jay Gresham machin sure yep so 100 year anniversary um so that's an important book we're, we're actually going to do a sunday school class here yes we are. at the church coming up because yep. it's 100 year anniversary i've read it i don't know how many times it's outstanding mm-hmm. how about let's also read christless christianity by michael, michael horton. horton yeah and that's more contemporary i realize that but i think if you're living in the 21st century it might help you think about classic doctrines sure. categories like law and gospel right. I'm doing, I'm doing hand motions over here hand motion. law and gospel <laughs> and <laughs> how about the justification book by john fesco yeah good one and if you want to go the older route you can read the buchanan one yeah but buchanan doesn't deal with people like nt wright sure or yeah. more contemporary issues like evangelicals and catholics together and so i think fesco just channels buchanan sure and yeah. uses him for today there you go <laughs> Uh, let's go. So we've done biblical theology, systematic theology. How about uh, gospel mystery of sanctification by mm. Marshall? Yeah. We've done episodes dealing with that book before. Yep. Yep. Really helpful to understand uh, in understanding sanctification, spiritual growth, maturity, that kind of stuff, the right way and the wrong way. Yeah. He goes after Richard Baxter. So that's yes. helpful. Yeah. Not by name though. And then maybe one that has to do with Christ and culture. So how about David Van Drunen's book, Living in God's Two Kingdoms, Sure, would be good. Yeah. So there you have it. We have 10 books. Ooh. We did originally five. We, did. we said, hey, let's also consider these. So we'll make sure to link to those in the show notes. If you're looking for those, you can find links to those resources Sweet. in the show notes for today. All right. Let's go on to a question from Joy. This is a fun one. I read this it. A, you should read the whole thing. I'm going to read the whole and thing. And maybe try to read it with the passion and zeal that maybe Joy wrote it okay, with. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to channel Joy's passion and zeal here while okay. we read her question. Good, good, good. I so often hear Christians say things like, you'll give an account to God. Or, your reward will be great to other believers in relationship to the good works they're doing in life. My mind is chewed on these things at length, and I have landed on the following conclusion. These statements require an assumption that a reward and penalty system still exists for the believer, despite an already Christ-won salvation. These same Christians would never affirm any part of a works-based salvation. Pactum, help me out! The reward is eternal life in Christ. The fruit of our salvation is the works of our hands to His glory, not earning some additional merit. It is absurd to believe that somehow our labors could earn anything greater than our rewards merited by Christ. Am I right? The third use of the law for the believer is for our earthly good and his glory, but our eternal good has already been settled and perfectly settled, not to be improved upon. Yes? Wow. I like I like it. I like Joyce's passion and yeah. style. It's I tried to really, really did my best. He actually did, so I appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so um, I think uh, let, let's think of it this way. Let's think if we are joint heirs with Christ. Mm. Okay, so if we're joint heirs with Christ, and Romans eight seventeen says we are, so heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Right. If yeah. that's true, um, 
And it's true. That would be true for every Christian. Yes, right? it would be. So if every Christian is a joint heir, so we inherit on the same level, same right. basis, based upon the work of Christ, um, what could be better? Um, I'm coming up with nothing. If we were super duper heirs because <laughs> yeah. we did more? There's a second level heir. <laughs> right? No, yeah. I So I love what Joy does. She's thinking Christianly about yes, all of yes, this. Yes. We, If you're in Christ, you are a fellow heir with Christ, a fellow heir. It, you're not going to... You can't outdo that. I mean, there right. is no higher level to achieve. So I think she's really onto something, and she's correct. And the great reward will be that you have God. Yeah, you have salvation. And also, and we repeat this often: Romans eight one is vital when it comes to understanding the end and mm. future yeah. judgment, because it brings the future judgment into the now. Mm. There is therefore now. No condemnation. The condemnation, that's talking about, I think, future. That's judgment day talk. No condemnation, because there's justification. Mm -hmm. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. So I'm not sure you can get richer or or, uh, more blessed or higher level than being a fellow heir with Christ. So that might be a little controversial um, for some who are listening. I don't think it'll be controversial for joy. Mm. Yeah. So, and part of the confusion comes from the fact that the scripture, requ- there are laws in scripture and there are strict requirements. Yes, yeah. And uh, we think, oh, then we better get busy. But what we need to see is Christ has met the strict re- strict requirements. And so we, we actually rest and we're motivated to, to do the right thing out of rest. Yeah, for sure. So I think there's a book I want to recommend and uh, it's called More Than Heaven. Hmm. It's controversial. Uh, it's it's controversial, Kleinian, and what else sounds with a, with a k sound? Controversial, Kleinian, and climactic. Cli- yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like the book. It's by T. Jeff Taylor, and uh, he's a part of the Pactum Verse. Sent me this book, and I liked it so much. I think uh, it's making the rounds at the church. Our bookstore is filled with this book. Yeah, it is. It, if nothing else, it will get you thinking about these matters in a way that's clear-headed about justification, that is Kleinian, and we do like Meredith Klein. Yeah. The subtitle uh, from, from the book is A Biblical Theological Argument for a Federal View of Glorification. Hmm. And he says some good stuff in here. I'm just going to read some excer- excerpts in here. He says, The genius of the Reformation doctrine of justification is not limited to a salvation that merely obtains entrance to heaven, but leaves the believer immediately confronted with an etern- eternity based on the works done in life. Hmm. That's, that's good. In addition, there is, unresol- there is an unresolved question. What is the baseline of grace? How good will heaven be for the worker in 1 Corinthians 3.15 who will be saved, but will have no reward? Hmm. Or how do the rewards of the thief on the cross compare to the octogenarian martyr who has faithfully and at great personal cost served the Lord Jesus? Grace, by definition, ceases to be grace once works are added. Hmm. And he's got some thought-provoking exegetical arguments regarding things like 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I think everyone should read this book and think through the issues. How about this, Mike? Yeah. The crucifixion of, of Christ, Jesus, was judgment day for believers. Mm. Ooh, Ooh, mic yeah. drop. I, I think he's right. There is no coming judgment day for the believer. Hmm. hmm. Is he right? Is he not right? He's controversial, but I think he is on yeah. something. Yeah, I think that's great. So... I would commend it to you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the book, Jeff. And uh, thanks for the good work that you do getting us to think like 
Protestants. Yes, yeah. <laughs> getting us to think like Christians. Yeah, excellent. So. Well, we'll, let, we'll move on to another question. This question comes from Brandon. There's a good question here from Brandon. It says, did Christ descend into hell? And if so, what did he do there? Heck no. Was he there for three days? <laughs> if not, what did he do for three days? And... Why does the Apostles' Creed and Athanasian Creed say so? <laughs> okay. I think we should turn to Lewis Burkhoff for some, some insight. Yes. That's probably what we, what we should do. He says, uh, to start things off, Burkhoff in his systematic theology says the statement was not in the early editions of the Creed. Hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, it's, it's old. I mean, there's no way around it. But just for clarity's sake, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't originally there. Right. Uh, but then Burk, uh, Burkhoff does a good job of talking about the different views. And yes, so he does, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to work my way through them. He says, number one, he says the Catholic church takes it to mean that after his death, Christ went into the limbus patrum where the old Testament saints were waiting the revelation and application of his redemption, preached the gospel to them and brought them out of heaven. So that's the Catholic view. Mm -hmm. Number two, Lutherans regard the descent into Hades as the first stage of the exaltation of Christ. Christ went into the underworld to reveal and consummate his victory over Satan and the powers of darkness and to pronounce their sentence of condemnation. Mm -hmm. I think we're getting better. Uh, Number three, the Church of England holds that while Christ's body was in the grave, the soul went into Hades, more particularly into paradise, the abode of the souls of the righteous, and gave them a fuller exposition of the truth. And then he, drumroll, Calvin, number four, Burkhoff says, Calvin interprets the phrase metaphorically, ooh, Hmm. as referring to the penal or penalty sufferings of Christ on the cross, where he really suffered the pangs of hell. Similarly, the Heidelberg Catechism. According to the usual reform position, the words refer not only to the sufferings on the cross, but also the agonies of Gethsemane. Hmm. And then he goes on to say, number five, we'll end on this. Scripture certainly does not teach a literal descent of Christ into hell. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, I, I agree with Burkhoff. Uh, I know not everyone does. Obviously, I just read the different views, but I think Burkhoff is correct in siding with Calvin. Um, yeah. It didn't really happen. Now, there are texts that people use. For example, Ephesians 4, 9 says that he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. And uh, at first blush, first glance, you're like, oh, maybe maybe that, you know. Sure, yeah. It's it's not. When you read it in context, and I think most expositors anymore get this right, uh, he he came to earth. Yeah, um, right. It's incarnation talk. Yeah, right, yeah. So I think that's that text. And then we could also deal, and Burkhoff does, with First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Yeah, yeah. Uh, doesn't seem to support the um, descended into hell doctrine either. He says the common Protestant interpretation of this passage is that in the spirit, Christ preached through Noah to the disobedient that lived before the flood, who were spirits in prison when Peter wrote and could therefore be designated as such. Mm. So... I read a little bit of Bovink on this. He gives a whole long history about it, which I thought was kind of fascinating. Um, but I think we're going to stop there. Yeah. Well, he most certainly didn't go there to make atonement. No, you know, he did not. Ransom no. to Satan kind of theory. Right. So. Yeah. No. I think we can have different views on this and be friends. Just don't commit heresy along the way. Yep. I think that's good. Okay. All right. Next question comes to us from Matt. And Matt asks, do you see Bonson's legalism 
if his son is correct, as you quote in saying no to theonomy. Episode 17. Episode 17, yep. Uh, Influencing his presuppositional apologetic. So he's saying, do you see Bonson's legalism influencing his presuppositional apologetic? If so, how and what should we be concerned about? So, Mike, are we still saying no to theonomy, even though it's super popular? Oh, we are most definitely still saying the pactum. no to yeah, theonomy. The pactum still says no to theonomy, and uh, it's still one of the more downloaded episodes, I think. It is, yes, one of our top reference. downloaded episodes. So, saying no to theonomy. Episode 17. So, I think theonomy is rife with legalism, and I sure. think Bonson uh, is... Not a legalist because uh, he died and went to heaven. So, um, <laughs> but in his writings, I think he, it's prone toward legalism because there's some sort of obedience to gain justification. Mm-hmm. That's like yeah. the worst kind of legalism. Right. That somehow it's faith plus what you do uh, get gains justification. So yeah, legalism is built in there. Uh, I think theonomy is also prone toward legalism, and here's why: it's because. Since you're taking the law that was applied and intended for Israel, national Israel, so you have that law, uh, and you're trying to apply it to someone other than national Israel, uh, nobody does it strictly, straight across. So you need the guru, you need the theonomist pastor Hmm. uh, to tell you how to apply it. Yeah. And so you're always having to go to someone to help you nuance uh, the, the national law to help you understand how it fits with the United States because it doesn't fit. Right. So you need somebody who has the epigenosis, right. the special knowledge, <laughs> which is a kind of legalism. Now, to answer Matt's question, I don't know. <laughs> so I think we, we did a good job of talking about what we do know, but how it would bleed through into sure. presuppositional apologetics. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, I have a special place in my heart for presuppositionalism because it's how I was trained. Uh, and uh, so there's that. I, I'm fond of presuppositional apologetics. I don't know how it would lead to legalism or not. Maybe somebody else could offer two cents. We could make something up, but we won't. Sure. <laughs> but I also think, having said that, uh, I'm, I'm more and more appreciative of R.C. Sproul and his apologetic methodology. Sure, yeah. Uh, I also would recommend that people check out J.V. Fesco's book called Reforming Apologetics. Mm, yeah. It gives some good pushback. Uh, in addition, I think lots of presuppositionalists, I'm not saying everybody, but lots of them, myself included from my past, I didn't really have a robust category. I didn't really have a functioning category for natural law, mm, yeah, and I sure. viewed it with suspicion. Yeah. yeah, which is which is a mistake. So we don't want to do that. Yeah. All right. Moving on to another question. We've got a few more. I was going to say several more, but I'll say a few. But we have a handful more okay. of these questions for our, our episode today. This one comes from Liam, and Liam says, "Hey, Pat and Mike, thank you for your theological comedy, which has enriched my understanding of God, but has ruined my sense of humor." I think that's an insult, <laughs> I, Liam. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I like the name Liam, but I'm kind of offended by the question. <laughs> he has two questions for us. Number one, we're only li- going to take one based upon that. <laughs> we are. No, we'll do two. <laughs> Right. Number one, in light of EFS being a heresy slash misunderstanding of the roles of the persons in the Godhead, how do we reconcile passages like the Father is greater than I in John 14? Okay, so eternal functional subordination of the Son is EFS. 
Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it doesn't take long to learn something about it. We've had Matthew Barrett on the show sure. before. Yep. We probably talked about that yeah. when he was on. We also talked about it in the past, maybe when we did a series on maybe our John Owen series. I Possibly can't, can't so, remember. yeah. I think, yeah, in there. Okay. So John fourteen twenty eight says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because, and here's the, here's the key, I am going to the Father, this is Jesus speaking, for the Father is greater than I. Hmm. So maybe someone from a, an EFS perspective would say, see, yeah. the Son is in his very essence uh, lesser than the Father, hmm. which would be uh, not true. Not true. So right. he wouldn't be very God of very God. Right, right. So we don't like EFS. Uh, we, we frown upon it. We think it's errant and yeah. it's it's actually heretical. Yes. Um, so... Let's turn to Matthew Barrett in his book, Simply Trinity. He says this, These texts do not mean that the Son is an inferior deity to the Father. The Son is lesser, quote-unquote, only in the sense that he has taken on the form of a servant, Philippians 2.7. That is because of the created and changeable human substance he took. According to his manhood, he humbles himself and obeys the Father for the purpose of fulfilling his mission of salvation. We think Matthew Barrett's right. I think he is. So since Liam did ask a good question, even though I think he insulted us. I think maybe. I think maybe we should go ahead and allow him to ask another question. Well, the second question from Liam is, I am not a Calvinist. Is this Liam Neeson? No, he didn't give us his last name, but I don't think it's him. Okay. I am not sure. You know, Liam Neeson reads, uh, he reads a version, I think, of Pilgrim's Progress. I think, yeah, there's something he, Dangerous Journey when they made a VHS video. Oh, okay. And it was just someone, I think it was that one. I don't know. Something like that. And it's it's Liam Neeson. For real. It was kind of cool. That is cool. Since he makes movies like every five seconds. Every, I mean... Every time he, you he get can, on Amazon, he, there's another Liam Neeson. You can also narrate <laughs> Christian Christian children's books. There you go. Yeah. I'm not a Calvinist, Liam says, although my friend, who is a dispensationalist follower of latent flowers and provisionalism, would definitely label me as one. What kind of friends do you have, My Liam? goodness. That in mind, I'm going to a Reformed church that, however, is not perfect does seem to have a good understanding of the distinction between law and gospel and holds to the Westminster Confession. They don't require members to be Calvinists and say that I can become a member, but can I with a clear conscience become a member? Okay. Liam, we're going to ans- answer your question with the question, yeah. do you affirm the Westminster Confession? So because I ask that because if you do, you, you're a Calvinist. Yeah, you yeah. uh, it's very Calvinistic, so that's why I ask that question. Sure, but yeah. Apparently, maybe I'm kind of guessing you don't. So, but I'm not sure. I, I would say, Liam, what you want to do is just be upfront with yeah. the leaders and tell them where you're coming from. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to be a member of a church. You should be a member of a church. The Bible says that our leaders, and no doubt it's in the context of a church, uh, they give watch over our souls. Hmm. And so you don't want to be a troublemaker. You don't want to be um, grumpy or complainy, but you got to find a church where you trust the leaders. You te- you think that they're going to look out for your soul by teaching you sound doctrine. Yeah. Uh, Liam, you probably should also listen to episode 19. Yeah. It's called Questioning, Questioning Calvinism. Calvinism. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I think Calvinism is a good thing. Maybe the label is sometimes frightening, but uh, what we're talking about really is the sovereignty of God and salvation. And uh, Liam, if you're listening to the Pactum, you probably believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation. <laughs> so, and we think it's maybe decreed that you should become a Calvinist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joking aside, it's a great question. It Ch- is. Yeah. Church is serious. 
Um, yeah. So glad you're trying to be sensitive to the whole matter. Yeah. Very good. All right. This next question comes to us from Alex, and Alex says he's been so greatly blessed by the podcast. Uh, thanks us for all that we're doing in the podcast, and he does have a question. He attends a Baptist, it's in quotes, I attend a quote-unquote Baptist church here in Wisconsin, and while I have some great conversations about where my theology has landed, covenantal, law gospel, hermeneutic, mill, reformed, confessional, etc., he Ooh. says, the one place we always disagree is on the law-gospel distinction, and I think it's vitally important that I get some clarity on this issue. He said, I fully understand why we want to view the Scriptures through this law-gospel lens. However, my pastor continues to push back, saying that I-slash-we are pressing this framework onto the text, and we would uh, and we would bring up specific examples in the New Testament where the apostles are simply giving instruction to post-cross Christians, and we're inventing a category that they did not intend for there to be. Two specific examples he gives would be New Testament imperatives. First, Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives. And Revelation 14.12, this calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandment or excuse me, who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And his argument would be, Paul and John are not talking with some ulterior motive where we have to work these imperatives backwards to law, understanding that Christ has accomplished it, so we just look to him, and every sermon is reversed to never have any call for endurance, for faithfulness, etc., there are tangible imperatives the apostles instruct us to take up and do, and for us to push the category of law onto them is to improperly represent what the apostles intend their readers to hear and do. Can you help me with this? Alex, we can help you. So that is a long question. It is a long question, but, but there, you know, confusion of long gospel abounds, as we know. So. It's important. Yep. Yeah. We, we love what Spurgeon says about this whole matter. The doctrine of the covenant lies at the root of all true theology. It has been said that he who understands the distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, really we're talking law gospel, right? Right, yep. Is a master of divinity. So first of all, congratulations, Alex, um, for having a, a master of divinity. <laughs> So how about this? Um, I think I think I've been where your pastor is. Mm. I think I've been there before sure, in yeah. my own thinking, and I love pastors. So I mean this with all due respect. But sometimes if you don't understand something, you're afraid of it. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and I've I've been that person. I, I've I've had that. I've championed that cause before. Mm, yeah. So be patient. Be helpful. Be respectful. But I think sometimes it's just a matter of confusion about things. So that's why we've we've said there's a first use of the law uh, to to show people their sin and misery, to drive them to Christ. But we've also said in in church history, Christian history, there's a third use of the law, and that would be to guide us and to direct us. They, both are vital. Both are important. Right. And so maybe that would help a little bit to work through some of those issues, to think through some good resources, to talk through the issues with him. Also, we have to remember, um, law is not bad. Right, yeah. Law, law is good, good, but sometimes because of our theological background, we, we just think, okay, law is only for Israel, or we think law sure. is only Mosaic, or law is maybe only first use, hmm, yeah. or law is only legalism. But we have to come to understand is if the law is what God requires, what he commands, um, that's good. It's, the Bible says it's good, righteous, and holy. Yeah. Uh, the problem is we can't do it, so it's not good news to us. Right, so yeah. Good news is what God has done for us in Christ. Christ died for our sins. First John says sin is lawlessness. Yeah. So he died for our lawlessness. So 
maybe that would help just to help him think it through. People have so many times we, and I'm going to include myself, have an allergy to anything law and, mm. and it's because of ignorance. Sure. Yeah. Maybe because of dispensationalism, uh, maybe because of just our, our flawed reading of the Bible or something. Mm. So when it says, Alex, husbands love your wives, that is law. It is, yeah. There's no way around it. It <laughs> is law. Uh, as my brother would say, or he would, his congregants would say on no compromise, um, it's lar. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a wanner, and uh, that's, wanner. that's lar. <laughs> so shout out to Mike Avendroth and no compromise. So husbands love your wives. There's n- that is ab- it's an imperative. It's a requirement. Yeah. It is ab- it's not an option. It is a commandment. It is law. Yeah. And if someone is unregenerate, maybe, uh, let's think of an unregenerate person hearing that, it, that's going to damn them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully it would show them their sin and misery so they need Christ. And Christ has done all things perfectly. But we know it's written to Christians. It's in Ephesians. So in that sense, it's, well, it's still first use because it can even show me as a Christian, you know what? I don't live up to the obligation. Yeah. I don't love my wife the way I should. I'm so thankful for the act of obedience of Christ. No hope without it, to quote mm. Machen. Yeah. But at the same time, it guides me. I'm not under condemnation because I'm in Christ, right, and yeah. now it guides me, and it's what's good, and it's what's right. Yeah. So uh, I hopefully your your pastor would at least gr- agree to that. Maybe he doesn't like to call it law. Okay, call it commandment. <laughs> so it's it's not it's not imposed upon the text. We're just having a place for categories. So if it's not going to damn me, it's going to guide me. But those are those are just categories. Yeah, right. So he's probably not comfortable with things he's not familiar with that have have to do with historical theology and categories. So uh, episode one hundred, episode two. Yeah. Um, my brother Mike has some really good stuff. Speaking of him, it's my segue in to talk about him. Uh, American Gospel has some great things from my brother Mike Abendroth on yes. YouTube yeah. on law and gospel. It's just a good little law and gospel masterclass. Sure. Yep. yep. So Fantastic. I would look at that. Uh, Christless Christianity also does a good job of of see, helping us to see it's not law light. Uh, law light still damns. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so the essence, even think about this, the essence of the law, according to Jesus is love. So it's not a stretch to see when it says husbands love your wives. Yeah. Husbands keep the law yeah. as it would relate to your wife. Who's your closest neighbor. Sure. Yeah. Right. So we're not playing games. We're not imposing something artificial on scripture. We're trying to look at all of scripture and it forces us to have categories. Yeah. And so I think in time, um, your, your pastor will see it. Um, because it's, it's there, uh, yeah. it's, it's baked in the cake for sure. Yeah. So anything we can do to help. And, uh, we've been there, done that. Yep. For sure. Most okay. certainly. All right. Next cu- question comes from Chad. And this question, uh, is, a, is about justification. And he says he's been binge listening to the Pactum episode since number one. Uh, it's been fun for him to see us grow in our podcast, uh, and talk about some of our, uh, favorite, Recurring, he says, targets are our theological foes and Christian cliches. Uh, one of these targets has been a push against using the phrase, quote, just as if I never sinned. Ooh, we don't like that. Yeah, in conversation about biblical justification. He said, do you think this language has been an inappropriate pull quote from Heidelberg question 60 and the answer? Uh, so he's, he quotes it for us, and okay. we'll just briefly show you that. It says, how are you righteous before God? And uh, it says in there, 
Uh, he grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin. Okay. Yeah. And so you he's know wondering if it's just a pull quote from there, and maybe that's possibly where it comes from. Maybe, maybe so. So um, we like your style, Chad. So it's uh, pop event. We we think it's more pop evangelical than Heidelberg esque. Yeah. But sure. You know what? Yeah. I like it. That you're giving them the benefit of giving folks the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and the reason we're nitpicky about this on the pactum, and we want you to be nitpicky about the whole matter of justification is not just as if I never sinned. That right. would bring you to zero. Uh, and God doesn't require zero. God requires that you love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. We would say personally, perfectly, and perpetually, all of your faculties. And uh, if God gets rid of our guilt or Christ gets rid of our guilt in justification, uh, we still are are back to zero. Right. You're still required to keep the law. Yeah. And now we're smoked because we're not going to keep the law perfectly. Right, yeah. So what we want to say is it's not just as if you... It's being declared righteous. Yes. It's being declared a law keeper, which is what righteous means. And so it's far better than just, you know, got rid of the guilt kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So it's got to be just as if I never sinned and just as if I perfectly, personally, and perpetually Uh, kept the law. Now, Chad, it does say in that statement, and you're aware of this, just after the comma, it says, and, okay, here we go, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me. Mm, Uh So it's there. It just doesn't have that kind of uh, ring to it. Right. That yeah. evangelicals seem to love. Right. Yeah. So what would Jesus do? Jesus <laughs> wouldn't say justification is just, just as if I never sin. <laughs> Good. Glad glad you're binge listening though. But I don't know if binge listening is, you know, which is worse? Binge listening to the Pactum or, or playing video playing games. Playing video games, that's what I <laughs> All right. Oh man. All right. Another question. We've got a couple more to wrap up our episode here. This is from Lance. And uh he recently listened to Uh, Gavin Ortland on Protestants and Catholics, and he said that the two are not as far from each other on justification as some think that they are. Lance doesn't say that, but that's what Gavin Ortland says. That's what Gavin Ortland says, yeah. He's saying that they're not so far apart from each other, and Gavin Ortland, he really seemed to downplay the imputation of Christ's active obedience. Hmm. Hmm. All right. What do we think about all this? Well, I I listened to the uh, YouTube lecture that he gave yesterday uh, when I was out and about um, doing some exercise. So um, I enjoyed parts of it, uh, like at the end. And he, you know, he's very warm spirited and warm hearted, and uh, kind of draws you in on in that sense. He's a lot nicer than Mike and Pat on the pack. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> terrible, mean guys. <laughs> and I would recommend that folks listen to episode 23 and 24 called Active Obedience uh-huh. 1 and 2 yeah. to get an idea. So uh, I think uh, Gavin is incorrect overall because he's saying we're a lot closer than people think. Yeah. Well, the anathemas, according to the Council of Trent, still stand. Hmm. So they still officially, in official church doctrine, damn the gospel. So... Canon 11, Council of Trent, if anyone says that men are justified either by the sole imputation of the justice of Christ or by the sole remission of sins to the exclusion of the grace and the charity which is poured forth in their hearts by the Holy Ghost and remains in them, or also that the grace by which we are justified is only the good will of God, let him be anathema. Mm. And Gavin is aware of this. I know he even mentions it, but I think what we need to do is remember that's on the books. So they damn the gospel officially. 
And uh, we say, uh, no, it is based upon the work of Christ and only the work of Christ, right. his imputed righteousness. And so we, we are at odds with one another. Mm. And uh, again, I, I, I want to be charitable in my, my critique and my response, but this, my impression uh, was when I was listening to Gavin, it sounded like he was coming at this whole matter from the vantage point of uh, a more moderate evangelical Christian, well-meaning, uh, instead of someone coming from it from a robust, reformed commitment to the historic doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Mm. And uh, historically, we, we reformed folks have, have seen the Roman Catholic Church because of what they teach as under the anathema of Galatians 1, 8, and 9. Mm. And, and Gavin is essentially saying that's Galatians doesn't apply to them. Yeah. And I would say, I think I'm in better company to say Galatians absolutely does apply to them. Mm. So we're not saying Rome is Pelagian, strict Pelagian, but they are semi-Pelagian. And that does seem to be the matter in Galatians. Is it by faith plus works or is it by faith and only by faith in Christ that we are justified the tension is real. The conflict is still very real. Uh, sometimes I wonder, just another way to think about this, sometimes I wonder, when I, when I hear Protestants um, teach justification, like initial justification by faith in Christ, final justification based upon your works, uh, I think that's, that's, that sounds Roman Catholic, mm. right? Yeah. That's not correct. Right. So then I wonder sometimes then, are, are we so used to that? Are we, have we so imbibed uh, into that way of thinking, it's by faith plus what we do finally, that, well, it's no wonder we say Roman Catholics are not very far apart because we, we've kind of bought into their way of thinking, which is not the, the right way of thinking. Mm. Also, when I was listening to the lecture, he ta- when, when Gavin defines faith, um, he says, you know, Protestants don't say it's just assent, and he's correct. Protestants right, yeah, don't, so right. I like that. But the best I can recall, I wrote it down, he says, it means, faith means, it means a whole disposition of yielding trust and surrender and consecration to God. If I have, if I'm quoting uh, Gavin correctly, I, I couldn't disagree more. Mm. That's not, that, that's not the classic definition. Uh, when I hear yielding trust, surrender, and especially consecration to God as, as built into the definition of faith, I say, hold on a second. Romans 4, 5 says, God justifies the ungodly. Sure, yeah. Consecration and ungodly don't match. Right. Uh, yielding trust. Uh, uh, it's not as bad as con- consecration. Surrender. Uh, th- I think if you're surrendering, that's godly. If you're y- yield- having yielding trust, that sounds pretty good. Right. Consecration for sure. Consecration to God, that, that's not ungodly. That's, that's good. Yeah, right. But Romans 4, 5, therefore, is at odds. So I think there's a problem with the definition of faith. Historically, Burkhoff says you've got the intellectual element, you've got the emotional element, you've got the volitional element, mm-hmm. but I don't think he's bl- blurring the lines into this kind of consecration to God as built in faith. Yeah. So that's my response. Um, I think I, I agree with Gavin when he says, um, okay, we, 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 we could maybe affirm 
We, we don't have to have imputation all sorted out to be a Christian. Yeah, okay. And I would yeah. agree with that. Yeah. So sometimes people are blessedly inconsistent. Mm. Yeah. So if you affirm justification sola fide, which Rome damns, but let's right. just say if you affirm it, but you don't have the stuff that undergirds it right, you, you don't have imputation sorted out, you don't have active and passive obedience sorted out, which Gavin talks about, okay, fine, you could be inconsistent. But if you deny sola fide, which Rome does, that's not inconsistent. Hmm. That's just damning the, the gospel reality. Yeah. So he mentions Richard Baxter. And, you know, if we say, you know, Rome is wrong and Rome is damned because they have imputation wrong and they do, um, then that, that would be damning to Baxter. Well, how about if we don't give Baxter a pass? Maybe he's blessedly inconsistent, mm. but let's not use him right. as some kind of champion. Uh, and Gavin quotes o- John Owen as talking about how he can be inconsistent, as if John Owen is affirming Baxter, and John mm. Owen yeah. is not no. affirming Baxter. Right. So I think this is problematic, and it's too soft, it's too gentle, because the anathema stands. And so yeah. I'm going to evangelize Roman Catholics um, because one of us is right. We're not both right. I do like the fact that there are deviant Catholics mm. <laughs> who don't yeah. believe what their church officially teaches. Um, so there is that side of things. I'm not saying all Catholics are going to hell, but we can't both be right about justification. So mm. appreciate the question. Yeah. Uh, I would offer pushback. Uh, and I hope that's helpful to you. Yeah. All right, this is our last and final question here on our Pactum Responsum. This one comes from Kylie, and she says she's a regular listener and thankful for the ministry. She has a friend who is struggling with the idea of Calvinism. Kylie, is just is this just you? Well, I'm asking, I have a question, but I'm, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I know that it's not, but I just had to poke a little fun, because Kylie, you're a faithful member of the Pactum verse, and we're thankful for that. I have a friend who's struggling with the idea of Calvinism and is leaning toward Arminianism. I found that I am a terrible apologist and wish I knew how to counter the arguments he has. One is that quote-unquote dead doesn't mean dead as in unable to respond to God. How can I shore up my apologetics towards the doctrines of grace? Also, what are some short points I can point him to in a quote-unquote debate? Kylie, we like your question. And even if you are, as you say, a terrible apologist, we don't know if we really believe you, but it sounds like you're a good friend. Yes, and right. So that, that makes up for some things because you're going to listen and be thoughtful and come up with some good answers like a good friend would. So I think it's fascinating when people say, you know, dead doesn't mean dead. Well, okay, literally, yeah. it's true. <laughs> right. So in Ephesians chapter two, uh, Paul doesn't mean literally dead because they're walking. Right. So they've got the zombie look going yep. on. But he does use the, let's say it's a metaphor. He uses the metaphor to make a point. Right, yeah. So unbelievers don't have the spiritual sniffles. Unbelievers, <laughs> don't, you know, they're not sick. Right. He could have used other words. There sure. are other Greek words. I don't know if there's a sniffles word. <laughs> but there are other words he could have used. Right. And he uses the graphic image on purpose. He uses the word dead. Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, there... They're, they're spiritually dead. Guess what dead people do? They don't do anything yes. because they're dead. They're not capable uh, of doing anything because, again, they're, they're dead. So not only that, they're demonically led. It goes on to explain. So how about if we then say and see that it says, uh, but God, right? 
So uh, they're children of wrath. Then it says in verse four, but God. So God does something, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So incapable of doing anything good spiritually made us. Notice God made us alive. So who is the first initial actor in all of this? It's not us. It's God. God makes us alive. So we call that regeneration. He made us alive together with Christ and by grace you have been saved. Hmm. So, um, Kylie, I think stick to the text, stick to what's obvious. Uh, maybe listen to episode 19 called Questioning Calvinism. And do do know this. Find some encouragement, encouragement from the fact that if you can help someone see this, the rest of the stuff is, is easy, yeah, you're right? right? Yeah. This is the big pill that people have to swallow. Yes, it is, yeah. Predestination, uh, those other kinds of things. Uh, I think it comes back to if you can understand this first, the other stuff makes all the, all kinds of sense. Yeah, right. So dead doesn't mean literally dead, but dead means dead um, yes. as the figure of speech that he's using here. Right. God has to do something. God has to act, and God is the initial actor in salvation. It's why, no doubt, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is praising God in such a wonderful, beautiful, yeah. passionate way because he understands that this is not because of me meeting God in the middle or I raise my hand first, and so God responded to me because dead... No, dead people don't do that. No, right. Yeah. God did it. It's why we say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we praise him. So keep going back to the text. Um, there are other texts like this one that complement. Um, and know, know this, as a good Calvinist, um, you know mm. that you can't change your Arminian friend's heart. Right, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, just at least try to get them to understand that salvation is of the Lord, Right. Um, It's all of him, not something we do. Maybe you could also help them think through issues like, well, if you're a Christian, uh, speaking to your friend, why are you a Christian, but your next door neighbor is not a Christian? Mm, Yeah. Uh, Is it because you're smarter? Is it because you grew up in a Christian home and somehow you're better? No, it it has to be because God worked. Yeah. And it's mysterious, but it is wonderful. Mm. It's good. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this Pactum Responsum episode. If you have questions you would like us to answer or talk about, you can be emailing us, connect at thepactum.org, and we'll get to those in future Pactum Responsum episodes. As always, you can find us online, on Twitter, on Instagram. Make sure you go to our website, thepactum.org, where you can sign up for our conference, All Things New, coming up October 6th through the 7th. You can get signed up and registered there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.